dark won't stop the light from getting through Do you wish that you could see it all in you? Chapel South San Antonio. Again, this is the first time we're going to be live streaming. And as I announced earlier, we're going to be doing this through the month of March. 
right now, as of right now, our plans is to come back and have gatherings in our main sanctuary on April 5th, which is our uh, communion Sunday. So until we hear further notice, otherwise, or otherwise, we're going to be having service, live stream service, 7 p.m. on Wednesdays and 10 in the morning on Sunday mornings. Tonight, we get to begin a new book. There might be some technical difficulties. As I said this is the first time, and it's odd that I'm sitting in front of a laptop. So if I'm staring at the laptop, I'm not staring at you because I can't see you. Or if I'm staring elsewhere, it's because I'm trying to pretend there's somebody here in the sanctuary. The book of Ezra, tonight, let me pray for the message and we'll get started. Father, Lord, I pray that through this craziness, Lord Jesus, this this pandemic that has broken out throughout the entire earth and the Many people have fallen sick because of the illnesses, Lord Jesus, and this virus. But I pray, Lord Jesus, that at least our people, those who call themselves Christians, that we do not fall into the fear, Lord, the, the fear that the enemy wants us to have. I pray that during this crazy time that we get the opportunity to show that we have you in our lives and that you can show up through us, Lord Jesus. Well, there may be some question in our minds, some concerns that we may have in our in our hearts, Lord Jesus, but nevertheless, we can trust that you are still on the throne and you are still our king, Lord Jesus. Father, your word says that things like this will be taking place and will be happening right before you come for your church, Lord, and you rapture us to be with you in heaven, Father. I pray, Lord, that if this is the time, if this is the beginning of those last days, Lord Jesus, before the rapture, I pray that you have them go by swiftly, Lord. Nevertheless, Lord Jesus, you are our creator, you're our king, you're our Lord, you're our savior, Lord. I pray for tonight's message, Lord Jesus, and the rest of this book, Lord, as we go through it, Lord, just like they were facing uncertainty, the book of Ezra, the people coming back, Lord Jesus, we will also learn through them, through their history, Lord Jesus, how we can rely upon you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So obviously I'm not going to ask you to stand to read with me, but I hope that you have your Bible in front of you. So follow along as I read chapter 1 of Ezra. We begin... It says, Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says king Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God. 
which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of this place, of his place, help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offering for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, with all those spirits who God had moved, arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with precious things, besides all that was willingly offered. King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by the hand of Metharath, the treasurer, and counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. This is the number of them, 30 gold platters, 1,000 silver platters, 29 knives, 30 gold basins, 410 silver basins of a similar kind, and 1,000 other articles. All the articles of gold and silver were 5,400. All these Shez Bazar took with the captives who were brought from Babylon to Jerusalem. Now, as we begin this this new book, one of the things that we got to keep in mind is that having just finished the book of Joel, which led us into their captivity, we were able to see how, because they were being disobedient, eventually Babylon came and took them captive. And it was prophesied already that they were going to be spending 70 years in captivity. Now, this took place because God had prophesied. And if you're with us on Sundays in the book of First Peter, it says that they were predestined, not that God had appointed them specifically to disobey, but because of their disobedience, they were destined. They chose to disobey and they chose to heed the consequences of their sins, of which we know they went into captivity. And it wasn't just going into captivity, but it was forced slavery. It was torture for some, for a lot of them. It meant that they lost family. Many people died on the way to Babylon. Many people died trying to get out of Jerusalem when Babylon was attacking. And, and now that we're starting this book, there's going to be several prophets who will come on the scene and several prophets and other books that are connected to this specific book. And I'll explain once we get there uh, and as we cross through these verses and, and chapters when we get to these uh, prophets. There's always, throughout the history of mankind, there has always been people who are pagan, pagan kings in the Old Testament, which God has used because, and he does the same thing now in modern times, he uses pagan people, unbelievers, to do the work of God because sadly enough, many times, too often, I should say, too often, us, the Christian people, those of us who call ourselves Christian, God's people, 
don't want to get out of their comfort zone. They they bring up, well, some of them may be valid, but many times they bring up excuses as to why they cannot serve God. And really, it's not for the church, it's not for a specific person's glorification. It's for God's glory. Yes, it's true that many times, or, or, or almost every single time, when we serve God, there's always a fear factor of uncertainty. What's going to happen? If I follow the Lord, there's going to be a trial. It is true. There's always trials when we try to do God's work. And just like in the Old Testament, God used a pagan king, somebody who was not a believer. Recently in, in my life, God used somebody who, if we were to look at this person from the outside, we would judge this person immediately with the mentality of, you know, who do you think you are? Well, this was an unlikely person that, that helped me out. Recently, some of you know that we moved out or we moved in into another another temporary home. And it was approximately about three in the morning, four in the morning maybe, can't remember exactly the time. But as we were driving to the new location, my wife was driving one vehicle and I was driving another vehicle. And right before we arrived at the residence where we were gonna be staying, the vehicle that my wife was driving overheated. And she tried to, to drive into the driveway or make a turn to come back into the driveway, but the vehicle stalled, you know, not too far away from the residence of where we're staying at. But the vehicle didn't want to start anymore. So since it wasn't a, a steep street or it wasn't uh, anything blocking it, I decided to, to just push it. And my wife got in the driver's seat I started pushing the vehicle, but it was stuck in a little, little trench where the water runs. And I was trying to rock it out of place so that I can be able to push it. And there was at this uh, liquor store that was in front of us, there was two guys that were sitting in a bench. Not really, we can tell that they were under some kind of influence, whether alcohol or some other substance. Anyways. They saw that I was trying to move the vehicle, but they didn't get up. And I don't know where, literally, I don't know where this unlikely person showed up. You can tell by the way she was dressed. It was a female. By the way she was dressed, she was not, you know, one of the neighbors. Or maybe she was one of the neighbors, but she was wearing an attire that was, you know, inappropriate. And she came out. She didn't ask any questions. She just simply said, I'll give you a hand. She helped me push the vehicle. In the same way that God used this person, God has used many other people, unbelievers, unlikely people to, that again, once we see them, we even think, we even judge them thinking, you know, I gotta keep a close eye on you. Who do you think you are? Kind of mentality. But God, God uses believers and unbelievers in order so that his will will take place uh, and not only his will but his promises so God can keep his promises in the book of second chronicles chapter 36 the writer who we learn as we're going to continue reading uh, is the is Ezra himself and 
In the last verses of chapter 36, Ezra is summarizing the disobedience of Israel. Going back to, as I said earlier, we finished the book of Joel. Going back to the book of Joel and explaining how they disobeyed and how it led them into captivity. Now, go to Second Chronicles chapter 36. We're going to start, and you know, you have to do a few with Nashra. Just go back one page. You're there. Second Chronicles chapter 36, starting in verse 15. It says, this is Ezra speaking. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, speaking of the prophets, rising up early and sending them, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. There comes a point when God just says, I'm done with you. You're not going to listen anymore. And he does the same thing with us Christians. He does the same thing. There's a point where he says, I'm done with you. There's no more going back for you. Continue reading. He says here that there was no remedy. Therefore, he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary. And he had no compassion on the young man or virgin, on the aged or the weak. He gave them all into his hand. And all the articles from the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and his leaders, all these he took to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all its precious possessions. And those who escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the king of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath. So fulfill to fulfill 70 years, the 70 years in captivity. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the, the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Now this, verse 22, is already 70 years after the captivity. Up to verse 21, they had been taken captive. Now verse 23 says, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May the Lord his God be with him, and let him go up. Now, again, we just read this verse, and it says that Jeremiah spoke something that needed to be fulfilled, that God fulfilled, actually. So, turn with me now to Jeremiah chapter 26. Jeremiah 26, verse, start, starting in verse 12. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the princes and all the people, saying, 
the Lord sent me to prophesy against his, this house and against this city with all the words that you have heard. Now therefore, amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God. Then the Lord will relent concerning the doom that he has pronounced against you. And obviously we know that they didn't repent. And the doom that he was speaking about came to pass. Now in the same book, the book of Jeremiah, now switch over three chapters after to chapter 29, verse 10. It says, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you. And because you and cause you to return to this place, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me, when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where you have been driven, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. So God caused this to take place. And I'm sure by now, after 70 years, most, not all of them, most of them have repented. At least those who were still alive and those who, who, who were kept in captive taken captive probably repented and isn't that what happens too many too many times or too often when we do something that goes against God that when we realize we made a mistake we it's sometimes it's too late we already made a mistake we sinned against God and we regret it and we should be regretful when we disobey God now the book of Ezra the timeline that we're going to be looking at here, there's a hundred, a 100 year span that takes place, or at least 100 years, approximately 100 years, from 538 BC to 450 BC. Almost 100 years again. This book was written to Israel, returning from the 70 year exile that we have learned about again in the book of Joel. And it is written to remind the Jewish people that were coming back and also for their future leaders not to commit the same sins, not to make the same mistakes. Also, to heed the word of the Lord, to obey God again. God has given us the Bible so that we can learn from these people's mistakes and also for us to learn how to live life properly. Ezra will be taking place in Babylon and in Jerusalem. Several prophets, as I mentioned earlier, will be mentioned as we read the book of Ezra. There will be, we will be going back and forth through several scripture, but the scriptures or the books that are connected to one another are Second Chronicles, the book of Ezra, of course, Nehemiah, and Esther. And in these these writers, or this writer, seems to be the same writer for all these books, or at least 
many scholars believe is the same writer. Like while, now, while Ezra was not the one who led the first fleet out of Jerusalem, there was another person, the first king to Jerusalem, once the king pronounced or made it into a decree that they could return. The first people came back with Zerubbabel or Sheshbazar. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get into details about these names, but I will explain later on once we get there who Sheshbazar is. Now, 60 years later, after this first group of people came, Ezra came back with a much smaller group of people. Now, the first group of people uh, numbered close to 50,000 people coming back to Jerusalem. That may sound like a big number, but it really wasn't. Ezra, when he came back, this is the second fleet, when he came back to Jerusalem, he came back with 2,000 people. So that makes it close to 52,000 people that came back to Jerusalem. But you got to keep in mind that when they were taken captive, this was a huge city. We're talking about millions of people that were taken captive. And only a very small margin of people came back. 52,000 people came back. That was not all the people that were alive at the time. But only those people came back. And I will get into details about why they stayed behind in Babylon. Now, Ezra came back 60 years later. Not because he was disobedient. Not because he didn't want to. Or because somebody probably finally pushed him to come. I believe because of what Ezra chapter 7 verse 10 says. And this is just my opinion. But if you read chapter 7 verse 10 it says. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. And to do it. And to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. So it wasn't just that he wanted to be intellectually prepared. He wanted to be spiritually prepared to do it, to live by what the Bible says. So he was preparing himself and also preparing himself to teach, to lead. In other words, he was preparing for a task that God had already placed in his heart. And then he, he obeyed. The book of Second Chronicles, Ezra and Nehemiah were originally considered to be just one book. But it was then separated into Ezra 1 and Ezra 2. And eventually, through the canonization and the different changes that were done, uh, it became Ezra, or Second first, Second Chronicles, Ezra, Esther, and Nehemiah. So, Ezra, we can tell if you, if you study all these books together, you can tell that it's the same style of writing same language used and even similar verses are in these books now Ezra himself he came from the tribe of Levite the Levites were descendants of Aaron which God had appointed to be priests so he was already in the lineage to be a priest Naturally, we learn later on that he is the priest he reads the the law in the book of Nehemiah chapter 8. He is the one who goes before the people. After they rebuild the walls. After they have rebuilt the temple. 
he comes and he opens up the book for the very first time in over 70 plus years that they were in captivity. Now, some, some scholars in some Jewish traditions view Ezra as far more than just a priest. Obviously, we know he's a priest, but they view him as more than just a priest or a scribe. He was regarded, and this is only tradition, this is not confirmed in the Bible, he was considered like a second Moses because he led a group of people into rebuilding the temple of God. He taught them the scriptures. He read. He he instituted all the 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 feast. Now, eventually, obviously, he probably had some kind of influence in putting together the scriptures again. But again, we don't have this evidence or support in the Bible to say that this is exactly what took place. This is only tradition. This is only opinions of, of the different scholars. But I'm sure he has some kind of influence in putting together all the scriptures. As we know that in chapter 7 of Ezra, he was preparing himself to obey the Lord and to teach the ordinances of God. Again, the first group of people that came with Zerubbabel or Shezbar uh, numbered close to 50,000 people. And Ezra brought a second group of 2,000 people. And again, these people were not thousands when they were taken into captivity. They were millions of people that were taken into captivity. But some of them became or grew old in the land of Babylon. One example we will read about him later on is Daniel. He was probably already in his 90s when you know, the Israelites were coming back. So probably he was too old, but according to what we know in scripture, he was ordained by God to stay behind in Babylon. To be an influence, to continue be continue to be an influence to for those who stayed behind, and for those pagan people who were still in Babylon. Now, others just simply decided to live in Babylon. They became comfortable with that lifestyle, and Babylon is a representation of the world, the world out there. Just like us Christians, many times the Christians feel comfortable living in the world so they choose to live just like everybody else in the world rather than to separate themselves as God called these people out of the world Babylon into Jerusalem to live a godly life Christians choose to live in the world or Babylon rather than to live a holy life now holy means sanctified being set apart not being holy in the sense that you're majestic or, or that you have special gifts that nobody else has. Now some of them, as I mentioned, were probably already too old or maybe they were they had some illness, but there were some, and we learned that in the first chapter of Ezra, that they supported the trip of Ezra and uh, Zerubbabel coming back to Jerusalem financially supported them. Of course, Prayfully supported them. 
And that's, that's an example also for us, the church, that we should take, especially with missionaries or, or even within our ministries. In each one of our churches, there are different ministries that take place. Well, not everybody is able to participate and serve the Lord for whatever reason. We are still called to serve the body one way or another, whether it's financially or whether it's physically or both. For these people that stay behind, some of them, again, chose not to go or they were not able to go. But they supported those who took the risk. And it was a huge risk. We're going to learn that. It was a huge risk uh, of a trip because it was going to be a 900-mile trip by foot going back to Jerusalem. Now, the first group of, of people were, was decreed by Persian King Cyrus, of whom was prophesied. He was prophesied by name uh, over a hundred years before he was born. The second group was sent by Artaxerxes the first. Now, 60-year period, there's a 60-year period hidden in between chapter 6 and chapter 7 of the book of Ezra where the story or the book of Esther takes place. So there's 60 years in between chapter 6 and chapter 7 that we will touch. If you've been with us, we've covered the book of Nehemiah before. Now, these people are returning after obeying God's word. The people that were returning, not during the 70-year the period, but after the 70-year period, they decided to obey God, to follow Him, and to do the task that they were called to do. Immediately after arriving in Jerusalem, they faced opposition. And not only do they face opposition, but when they get there, they see nothing but rubble, nothing but ruins. The temple is completely destroyed. There are no walls in the city. And they get discouraged. Their hearts get broken. Obviously, you'll see in the devastation, their spirits mourn. Some of them obviously fall to their knees and begin to cry. And that tends to happen with us Christians too. When we're called to serve God, we often think that when we go and serve Him, that everything's going to be laid in a silver platter for us. That everything's going to be ready, set for us to, to just come and serve and see what God is doing. Yes, He is working, He is doing, and we're called to serve. But 
every single time that we try to do God's will in our lives, there will be opposition. The enemy is going to come and discourage us, just like they will be facing discouragement and threats from the surrounding cities, from the people that surround Jerusalem. Now, they, they were mocked. They were discouraged. We Christians face mockery also often, especially or oftentimes as our very own family members, extended family. And we get discouraged. We feel like, well, what's the point of being a Christian if all I'm going to be doing is be humiliated, face all these trials? But that's why God calls us to do it because we're not going to do it in our strength, but rather He's going to do it through us by His strength. Now, because the people are going to be discouraged when they get there, God eventually sends prophets to encourage them so that they may continue to do their work. And we know that they finished the work after four years, at least the temple's work after four years, because he sends God, sends, eventually sends uh, prophet Haggai and the prophet Zechariah. He comes and encourages them, but he also sends them to warn them not to fall back into their sins or not to entangle themselves with the surrounding cities in their sins in their way of life. Now, again, it takes them four years to rebuild the temple. But the temple, when it was rebuilt, it wasn't rebuilt with the same glamour or the majesty or the glory that was originally built when King Solomon had built it. It is less, it is not less important, but it was much smaller than the first temple. One of the things that all believers, as believers, we will face is trials. All of us, if you're a true believer, you will face trials. I guarantee you, Jesus told us, he warned us, in this world, you will have tribulations. Not that we will live through the great tribulation, but the tribulations that he was talking about is trials, difficulties. But he also told us, do not be afraid because I have overcome the world. Jesus said that. I, him, Jesus, overcame the world. So trust me. Now we're all going to face trials one way or another. And the enemy, we don't know how much insight he's able to have. But he's able to see, he recognizes the hand of God at work when he sees it in an individual. When God is getting ready to bless somebody, when God calls somebody to do a work for the Lord, the enemy knows. Maybe not him himself, but one of his minions is sent to disturb us, to discourage us, to threaten us oftentimes, or not continuing, continuing the work of God. And see... This is the thing, the thing that whenever God places something in your heart, wherever that is, great or small, don't hesitate to obey. Don't don't say, well, you know, I want to make sure that God, you know, is the one calling me or I got to pray, brother. Don't don't over Christianize. Don't over spiritualize something that the God that the Lord has placed in your heart. Act upon it quickly because the enemy will come and snatch it away just like those seeds that fall in that rocky soil it may seem like something's taking root but eventually the birds of the air are going to come and snatch it away 
Same thing with the Lord when He places something in your heart. Obey Him immediately. Don't wait, you know, months, sometimes years. I can honestly tell you that there's somebody that, and I'm not going to mention his name, in our congregation, I had asked them to pray about something, you know, starting a new ministry, actually continuing a ministry. And I said at the beginning of the year, last year, 2019, I said, I'm not going to give you a timeline as to when I need an answer, but don't wait until the end of the year to tell me yes or no. We're in 2020. I still have not received an answer. <laughs> so I asked them recently, you know, what, what's happened with what I asked you to pray about? And what I was told is that, I don't know, I don't know. That's all like, that's the answer I received. And by now, the enemy has already infiltrated his life and has taken him into a place where he's become comfortable, more comfortable in the world again. I continue to pray for this person. And in the same way, the enemy will come to you. When God places something in your heart and you don't act upon it immediately or prayerfully immediately, the enemy is going to come and snatch it away. He's going to discourage you. He's going to tell you you're not worthy, which we are not. None of us are. He's going to tell you you're not qualified. None of us are qualified. He's going to use all kinds of tactics to discourage us. He's going to use even family members to distract us. When we get fully into the study of Esther, we're going to see how the people were being distracted. As we in this current world, we have so much distraction surrounding us. I mean, what's going on today? You know, as we speak right now, this craziness about the coronavirus. This is one of the reasons why we're live streaming. The enemy, I mean, of course, we're submitting to the authorities of our government. Yes, we're obeying, but the enemy is using this. He's having a ball, man. Because he's discouraging from churches to gather and the Bible says, do not forsake the gathering of the brethren, even more so as you see the day getting closer. While, <laughs> while on Wednesdays is usually the least turnout for people because Wednesday night, 7 p.m., I know that next day a lot of people go to work, kids go to school, and believe me, I understand it. I personally have a job. My kids go to school too. I have a wife. I have children. I have responsibilities outside of the church. Me too. I understand what you're going through. But if we continue to allow the enemy over and over and over to discourage us, you know, the Lord's not going to want us to use us anymore. Eventually, it's going to come a time when He says, okay. You choose to disobey. You choose not to serve. I can't use you. Now, let's go back to the book of Jeremiah. Go to Jeremiah chapter 2. Starting in verse 1. Now, in the subtitle chapter 2, for me, it says, the God's case against Israel. And it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, 
This is Jeremiah. Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holiness to the Lord, the first fruits of his decree, of his increase. All that devour him will offend. Disaster will come upon them, says the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What injustice have you fathers, your fathers found in me, that you, I'm sorry, that they have gone far from me, have followed idols, and have become idolaters. Neither they they say, Where is the Lord, who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of desert and pits, through a land of drought and the shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt. I brought you into the to a bountiful country to eat its fruits and its goodness. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an, an abomination. The priest did not say, Where is the Lord? And those who handled the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Therefore I will yet bring charges against you, says the Lord, and against your children. Your children's children I will bring charges for pass beyond the coastlands of Cyprus and sea, sent to Kedar and considered diligently, and see if there has been such a thing. Has the nation changed its gods, which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. As astonished, O heavens, at this, be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and honed themselves cisterns from broken cisterns that cannot hold no water. Is Israel a servant? Is he a homeborn slave? Why is he plundered? The young lions roared at him and growled. They made his land waste. His cities are burned without inhabitant. Also the people of Noft and Tahpanthes have broken the crown of your head. Have you not brought this on yourself? And that you have forsaken the Lord your God when he led you in the way? And now why take the road to Egypt to drink the waters of Sehor? Or why take the road to Assyria to drink the waters of the river? Your own wickedness will correct you and your backslidings will rebuke you. Know therefore and see that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God. And the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord of God of hosts. For, for of old I have broken your yoke and burst your bonds, and you said, I will not transgress. When on a, every high hill and under every green tree you lay down playing the harlot, yet I have planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. How then have you returned before me into the, to the degenerate plant of an alien vine? For though you wash yourself with lye, lye and use much soap, Yet you, in, your inequity is marked before me, says the Lord God. How can you say I'm not 
polluted. I have not gone after the Baals. See your way in the valley. Know what you have done. You are swift, dromedary, breaking loose in her ways, a wild donkey used to the in the wilderness that sniffs at the wind in her desire, in her time of mating, who, caught, who can turn her away. All those who seek her will not weary themselves. In her mouth they will find her. Withhold your foot from being unshod and your throat from thirst. But you say there is no hope. No, for I have loved aliens and after them I will go. As a thief is ashamed when he is found out, so is the house of Israel ashamed. They are their kings and their princesses and the priests and the prophets saying to a tree, you are my father, and to a stone you have given birth to me, for they have turned their back to me and not their face. But in the time of the trouble they will say, arise and save us. But where are your gods that you have made for yourselves? Let them arise if they can save you in the time of your trouble. For according to the number of your cities are your gods, O Judah. Why, why would you plead with me? You all have transgressed against me, says the Lord. In vain I have chastened you, children. They received no courage, and your sword was devoured, your prophets like a destroying lion. O generation, see the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness to Israel or a land of darkness? Why do, you, why do my people say we are lords? We will come no more to you. Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Why do you beautify your way to seek love? Therefore, you have also taught the wicked woman your ways. Also on your skirts is found the blood of the lives of the poor innocents. I have not found it by secret search, but by plainly on all these things. Yet you say, because I am innocent, surely his anger shall turn from me. Behold, I will plead my case against you, because you say I have not sinned. Why do you gad about so much to change your way? Also, you shall be ashamed of Egypt as you were ashamed of Assyria. Indeed, you will go forth from him with your hands on your head, for the Lord has rejected your trusted allies, and you will not prosper by them. God had ordained the 70-year captivity, and... It was so that he would correct, he would discipline. Well, the Bible uses the word chastened. He would discipline and chasten his stubborn children, his stubborn people. And a lot of the times we hear people say, you know, why does God allow uh, calamity to come upon people? Why does God allow these evil things to, to happen to good people? Well, a lot of the times it's because they've been disobedient they disobeyed God disobeyed God and these people had been stubborn what the Bible calls them stiff neck they were stiff neck people who were disobeying God and even though God is disciplining Israel has disciplined them for the 70 year captivity God was still working in the background he was working on the heart of the king a pagan king Think about that. He's a pagan king. And, and God is using him. God is also going to be using families when they return. As he can use our families 
when we work together. He's going to use families to work together and rebuild the temple of God. They're going to reconstruct. And isn't that what the enemy is doing? He's trying to separate families so that the temple of God, which is within us, gets separated to destroy it. The enemy wants to do that. The enemy doesn't want to have gatherings like this so that we can worship together, encourage one another. I understand right now, as I said, this is the time when we need to obey the authorities. But the enemy takes delight in this. Now, before we, we, we begin in chapter 1, verse 1 of Ezra, go to chapter 8 of Ezra. Chapter 8, Ezra. And let me turn there. Starting in verse 21. It says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek Him, to seek from Him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road, because we had spoken to the king, praying, The hand of our God is upon all those for good. Who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this. And this is key. And he answered our prayers. He answered our prayers. Ezra knew that God had called him and he called his people to come and do a work, the work of God to rebuild the temple. But also Ezra knew that he needed to reassure the people that God was with them. So he prayed and he says right here, God listened and he, God answered our prayers. Now, let's read verse 1 of Ezra. Now the, in the first year of Cyrus king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Now, before I get into verse 2, I want us to take a look at, uh, I mean, we already read it, but briefly take a look at uh, chapter 36 of Second Chronicles, the last verse. Actually, I should say, the last two verses are very similar. You don't have to read it. It's very similar. Just turn back a page so you can see it. It's very similar. The very same words. So this confirms that Ezra is the writer of Second Chronicles in the book of Ezra. At least for this um, scripture, part of scripture. Now, another scripture to fulfill what the, the prophet Jeremiah said. In the book of Jeremiah chapter 25, beginning in verse 12, says... Then it, came, it, it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. So I will bring on that land all my words which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book which Jeremiah has prophesied concerning all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall be served by them also, and I will repay them according to their deeds and according to the works of their own hands. And 
it did come to pass again the 70 year captivity came to pass and God had prophesied it now the king Cyrus obviously I already said this that he was not a believer he was a pagan king but yet God called him he stirred up his heart the Bible says in the book of Proverbs the, the, the hearts of the kings or the hearts of the leaders government leaders and this is a great example that we can see in our current president whether you're a supporter, supporter of President Trump or not we can see that God can use even him whether he's a believer or not nobody knows anybody else's heart whether he's saved or not regardless God can use anybody it says the scripture says that he stirred the king's heart King Cyrus and his name or he was called prophesied by name 150 years before he was born the prophet Isaiah is the one that prophesied about him in the book of Isaiah chapter 45 and but see this is one thing though even though he was prophesied God didn't create prophecies so that he would be able to piece the puzzle pieces together he prophesied 150 years before he was born so that this would take place because he knew already that King Cyrus would allow him, God, to stir up his heart and obey. God didn't create prophecy so that this would take place, but he stirred up the heart of the king. Isaiah 45 verse 1 says, Thus the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, again, 150 years before Cyrus was born, whose right hand I have held. Not that he was righteous, not that King Cyrus was righteous, but God, he was the righteous one. To subdue nations before him and lose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors, so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and, and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by name, am the God of Israel, for Jacob my servant's sake and Israel my elect. I have even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. And this took place so that God the prophecy of God will come to pass. It wasn't that God had to create prophecy, but because he already knew that King Cyrus was going to heed his calling. Now, next week, Lord willing, we're going to come back to verse 1 and go a little bit more in detail, more in depth. For now, let's pray. Father, we thank you we thank you for allowing us to gather even though we're facing this kind of tragedy this virus throughout the world thank you that we still have the privilege to gather 
here, Lord, that we get to be together, Father. Lord Jesus, be with us as we continue learning about you, Lord, as we continue to, to serve you, Father. Father, and as we learn more about you in this book, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you reveal yourself to us, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.